it's so easy. We just push a button and it just does what we want it to do. Right. Such yeah. as life. Such as life. I wish all of life was that easy. That's <laughs> pushing a button to record a podcast. Uh, Jason Hewlett here, along with Jolene Lindsay, for the episode two of Integrateness podcast. I just love the way that flows, Integrateness. I know. So this is where you get to hear all the juicy details of what brought us to this moment. That's right. Yeah, you're going to get two episodes. This is the first where I'm yapping and and then Jolene's kind of commenting and then we're going to turn the tables for episode three and Jolene's going to share her story. Um, pardon me? <laughs> I was going to prepare stuff too and read this whole thing or something and I just not nah, because I think we kind of alluded to our stories on episode one. Right. So I think it'd be kind of interesting if, you, to, if you're up for this, Jolene, to do a Q&A back and forth. So you could ask me some questions and I'll provide some info and then you could we could talk about that. And then next episode, I'll return the favor. I like that. I like yeah. that. Yes. OK, I'm going to channel all of our listeners questions in advance right now so that as they're listening, I can pretty much just ask the questions that are going to come to their mind. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> reaching out to the podcast first to see what people are thinking or feeling. But uh, I guess I could start by simply saying that I, I was born in 1972. Uh, so I, I am almost, well, by the time this hits, I will be 50. <clears throat> uh, although I feel about 24 uh, most of the time. Uh, and I've, I've, people could kind of say, I've told people my story and they're like, wow, that's, you know, that's a hard life or such a life. It's, just, it's not, it's, it's just a life. Like it's no harder or different than a lot of other people's. Maybe things have moved around. Maybe I did experience a few more things that other people didn't, but everyone has their trials and tribulations. Um, but I feel, I looking back, even though there's some sad stuff that happened and some heavy stuff, I regret none of it because it all got me here. That's and I think good. that's the important takeaway I want to give from sharing my story is that everything happens for a reason. And if you're up for it, it'll make you stronger as long as you're willing to kind of push through and persevere. And that is so about our integrateness, right? Like we are here to be the best versions of ourselves. And these are the journeys through that to help others through that. And we, there are lots of different highways to get there, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Not all of them are smooth roads, but they're, they're, they all get you where you're supposed to go. Uh, okay. So why don't you give us a little rundown of like, you know, the, the cameo moments of your life, the things that defined what some of those rough roads were or where you were, you know, uh, blazing your own trail there before you hit the freeway. Uh, <laughs> you kind of get the, the, the highlights of, of the main points of your life and then we'll, we'll ask away, we'll chisel into the details of those. Sure. I think the big thing, and I was unaware of it at the time, but I was adopted at birth. Um, I was always told uh, by my parents that I can't, I was born at Grace Hospital in Vancouver, and then I came home 11 days later to Kamloops, and then grew up from there. But I was actually, my mom, Barb, lived in Edmonton, and she came from a very strong, well, they're German, and she was kind of, you know, like, first generation German here in Canada. Parents were like, my, my grandparents grew up during Nazi Germany. It's a very old school European hard. So when they found out that their, that their daughter was pregnant, it's like shipped off to Vancouver mm -hmm. uh, to give, and you're giving up the baby kind of thing. So that's what happened. Um, and what I learned as I discovered this, what much later in life is that that alone has a profound impact on who you are Absolutely. as a person. It, and, and babies then, they weren't like cared for. They were left in like a nursery 
and they were just pumped full of drugs to stop them from crying. And the side effects of that has been shown like anxiety, depression, um, blunted emotions, like lack of compassion, et cetera. Cause you weren't cared for, you were just kept. All of our attachment uh, wounds, you know, originate very early on. And yeah, when we used to just be swaddled and put into nurseries without physical contact and the, the nurturing, the oxytocin, um, you know, uh, activation in, in the maternal unit, right? All of those things are so important for attachment, right? We talk about skin to skin contact right away for babies. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And you learned that later on, right? It mm -hmm. makes sense to you later on. Yeah. Okay. It did, but it set a groundwork for things like all through my childhood, um, which was interesting. Um, also, I was I was born dyslexic, so with, and that was discovered. And I was fortunate that my adoptive mom, who was a teacher, realized that what was going on wasn't behavioral issues, but I just didn't understand what was happening. And so I was I remember getting bumped, but by halfway through grade four. I went to a school that would basically be like the inner city school equivalent in, in the United States. It was like, you know, most of the problem kids were there. So they pulled me out of that school and I bumped from school to school for a number of years to get where, where my mom had found the best possible teachers to help me get what I needed to do in terms of learning how to read and comprehend and write, which they determined were the more important than say math skills back then. So I was, so, you know, as young, I, I couldn't, read, write, comprehend. So that creates its own anxiety on top of the anxiety I was born with. And then I was the new kid in school for like three, four years running, right? So you kind of go through all that, like, you know, trying to fit in and make friends and deal with assholes and stuff like that because you're the new kid. Um, so I'd say those years, although hard at the time, it, it I, I learned a lot in terms of just survival skills at the elementary school level. And by grade seven, I went back to the school I had started at and was sort of reunited with my friends um, in time to get through the grade seven year and then go into high school. Um, and by the end of high school, I'd overcome I'd to the majority of like my dyslexic woes, which was good. And then I had, it was, that was like a normal childhood. So I kind of, by, by about 17, I, I felt I'd found my groove. So you say there's a lot of bumpy roads and I found a good road. Um, and so the family I was in was sort of the happiest at the time. And then at 19, um, my father, my adopted father, but the only father I knew died of a heart attack. And that was, I think the single most biggest event that could, well, it could, any event that could happen to any, anyone, uh, especially at 19, but he was healthy. He was not a drinker or so he'd quit smoking his job. He was a, a laborer. Well, he'd got past the labor stage and he was like in the development, like he's, you know, builder building development, but he was in good shape. And everything so he did all the things you were supposed to do in life that was supposed to promise you a long life but he and all the the hewlett men were born with a kind of an erratic heart rhythm so it skipped beats every once in a while but they, did, they didn't know that they weren't diagnosed with that so really it was just one of those roll of the dice it was going to happen sooner or later and it happened at a, his age of 56. and that sort of changed everything i think in terms of where I was going in life. I'd had a plan completely ready to go in terms of we were going to start a construction business. I was going to work with him and we were going to create like Hewlett Homes and do this whole, this whole plan. And then it was just like, you know, -da 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 -da, boom, <laughs> crash. And I don't think I ever really recovered from that until about 2018 when I started working with Alicia Krutop wow. here in town. Because I just, at that point, wandered through life. Um, I did not deal with my grief of 
like, you know, not only the loss of a father, but of like a life plan or anything at all. So I free floated. I did a lot of really cool shit. Like I went to film school in my early twenties in Vancouver and had that whole experience because I love movies. And so I, I, that was, that was a really great bit of the wrong time to try to get into the film industry in Canada. Cause the only thing really going on up here was X-Files at the time. There was no real big industry and there's no video or digital. Like you couldn't just create your own stuff for, for, for cheap, but I did it and it was fun. And when that kind of looked like it wasn't going to pan out, I just decided to go to the UK and travel for a while. You know, met a gal from Australia. We kind of fell in love. So I said I was going to go to Australia. So I went back to Canada, made a bunch of money. And a few years later, I went to Australia for a year. That didn't work out, but whatever. I went to Australia, kind of came back. I'd cooked. I did like, you know, web design, just float, free floating around. And then decided, well, I was going to hit 30 in a year. <laughs> I should probably really do something substantial with like my life. I like to write, so I figured I'd go to journalism school. And I went to journalism school at what was then UCC. Um, and halfway through your, like I did my upgrading for a year, then I got into the journalism program. And halfway through your years at the journalism program, you need to get with a, an internship. Like it's, it's, requ it's required. You got to go out and find work to get some professional experience. And I couldn't find, I applied for so many positions all over like Canada. I didn't get any. I applied for the internship at the Daily Canlips Daily News. I didn't get that. But what I did get was some freelance work with Kamloops this week. But I guess the city editor at the time, Mike Cornell, um, who kind of, I think, you know, when, when he's one of those people that changed my life. Because even though they didn't think I was good enough to be the summer intern, he liked my work enough. And by the time he saw my freelance work at Kamloops this week, when they had a maternity leave came up, he phoned me and said, do you want to fill in for the maternity leave for a year? And my professor said, yeah, you should do that. It's a good opportunity as long as you can kind of come back and finish your degree. And I said, yeah, yeah, of course. So I did the year-long um, maternity leave, which started two weeks before the 2003 wildfires kicked off, which people who are local to Kamloops know the 2003 wildfires. That, at that point, that was the most destructive wildfire season in the history of the province. And because I was the crime guy, the wildfires were my beat. And so that made my career right wow. there as a journalist. Although I didn't have a fucking clue what I was doing because the journalism program so ill-prepared me for actually the realities of being a journalist, it was literally, as Mike would say, it was trial by fire. Like I just learned how to be a journalist just by doing it through like the worst condition. Like I was working 80 to hundred hour weeks through that whole summer. I was just, you know, six days a week, sometimes seven, doing everything I could, but it set my career on, on path on going. Um, and so I would, I kind of finished the, the, that year and I was the first person hired out of journalism school at the Daily News in 50 years. I finished my degree part-time at night, like doing nights and weekends and stuff like that. It took like three years. By then I'd met my wife, we'd gotten married. And my grand plan when going into journalism school was to get the fuck out of Kamloops. Because no, no one was hired at the Daily News, right? And I wanted to work at a Daily. Hello. Right? My it didn't work. Because <laughs> by then I was married and we were establishing a family and everything. But what I didn't know what was going on in those ensuing years is that because of the trauma of losing my father and the trauma of being adopted, which I hadn't realized that makes you susceptible to other traumas and you're sort of more impacted by them. And I was the crime guy. So every accident, every murder, every fire, every hit, you know, whatever would have any public suicide. We never covered suicides unless it was in public and it was something people could see. I was at, and I was like on the front lines 
doing that. And I mean, I, I remember like, you know, there's one story that I always remember a woman decided she wanted to kill herself. So she stood on the train tracks in, in one of the suburbs, Valleyview, right by the Trans Canada Highway, holding a cross. And the train could see her come, they could see her and they hit the brakes. But because it's a train, it takes forever to slow. And they ran right over top of her. She wouldn't move. And she got all caught up in the wheels and everything like that. And I had to go there to cover this because there's no way you could ignore it. It was like, you know, so many people saw it. There's houses in the highways. And I remember talking to an RCMP officer, Amadeo Vecchio. I still remember that. We always called him, everyone called him Ammo because he was like one of those tough guy cops, right? And he sort of saw me and he kind of came over because there's a bunch of firefighters around the train. And he had like tears in his eyes, which I thought was like striking for me. And I'm like, what's going on? And he kind of explained what happened. I said, yeah, okay. And he goes, the firefighters are trying to unravel her from the wheels. I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, she's still alive and she's not making a sound. And that was just like, that was a good 15 years ago. And that still gives me chills to think of it. Cause there's just something so yeah. moving, profound, horrifying, frightening and, and it was just and it I, I had hundreds of those kind of moments over the 10 years at the paper and they basically took I was told by a counselor not Alicia but a pre I worked with a few people over the course of the years trying to get Humpty Dumpty back together again but the, what, the first trauma creates like a hole in the brain or a pathway through the brain subsequent traumas just widen that they don't create other little ones they just make the one trauma bigger um, and mine she said was like a super highway by yeah. the time this Right. And kind of the last sort of straw was when my son was born in 2011, he was born with congenital hypothyroidism, which means he was born without a thyroid and the thyroid governs your entire body, how you learn, how your body functions, how it regulates itself. It's crucial. And so he was put on a synthoid, which he will have for the, his whole life, but it took about two months for that to kick in. So whatever he ate wouldn't stay. He couldn't sleep. He, he just couldn't function. And he knew something was wrong. So he'd just wail incessantly because he was hungry and he was tired and he was, something was wrong with his body. And so like my wife, for the first two months of his life, they slept in a bed separate just so she could feed him every 20 minutes just to keep him going. Um, and by the time finally he started to gain weight, like we were just, we would have had more kids if that hadn't, like we were just fried. And that just compounded everything else that I had gone through, let alone what she was going through, just trying to keep this baby alive. So I, by 2012, I broke, I completely I had a complete psychological breakdown. I got no support from any of the staff at the paper. They didn't get it. No matter how I could try to explain it. And, and a lot of them didn't want to hear about it. Just my psychological break was affecting their work. Didn't matter. So I basically said, fuck y'all. And I took like a, a leave of absence right in the middle of summer when people had booked their holidays too. I didn't care. I was like, I'm out. I just, if I stay here, I'm probably going to eat a bullet at this point in my life. Um, and so it took quite a while to kind of get all that back on track. I kind of worked with the counselor for a period of time through there. I was kind of getting things going again. I was starting to feel more myself by about late 2013. And then on early July, January, 2014, the paper closed. Wow. <laughs> it's just like, you know what I mean? It was just like funk. I had forced to find like new work and a new career, I had a young family. 
Um, and that's when I kind of ended up at Open Door Group and Work BC doing employment counseling because enough skills from journalism had translated across to, to doing that kind of work and helping people find work. And I did that for a few years until basically, long story short, I, I was in a position by then, uh, my adopted mother had passed away. Her and I had a toxic relationship from the day that my dad died to the day that she died because she never dealt with her grief and everything became about her. And she had already always had lack of self-esteem anyways. Like, and had never, I, by that point, figured out that, you know, had dealt with the fact that she couldn't have kids of her own. Yeah. And so a lot of more pressure was put on myself as a, as a child. And, and by the time she passed away and I got it sorted out and I could kind of leave the nine to five workforce and do my own thing, which I'm doing now, um, I had found out I was adopted. Wow. And basically then went on the search to find them. And that was actually out of all that, the easiest part. It was literally, I sent a, a, a document off to Adoption BC. They responded saying, yes, your, your birth mother wants to speak with you. <laughs> and over the course of Easter weekend, we, in 2021, we'd connected and that began, um, which has created its own other situation as well of just trying to make up for lost time and the hows and the whys and dealing with the fact that the people who raised you were not honest with you for whatever variety of reasons. So that's kind of the nutshell of who I am. Yeah. Journey and the journey of how you have come to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Wow. But it creates so a lot of baggage. <laughs> Such as life, though. I mean, right? you, can, you can go through life collecting nothing, or you can go through life collecting experiences and knowledge and wisdom, and that unfolds and unravels and gets left on other people's doorsteps and on their passports of life. And, you know, um, and it's how you learn to sort of embrace all of that. And, you know, I remember at a very young age believing that life will hand hardship to those who know how to utilize it for their betterment. And, um, you know, no experience should go wasted. So sometimes if you're getting more of these experiences, it's because perhaps you can turn them to gold in some way or another. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to just jump in there. So we actually have a common experience from many years ago that we're both not aware of until this moment. Um, so we're going to add a trigger warning on the uh, description of this podcast here, just because there's some graphic details there that may trigger people. But um, going back to the suicide that you tended to, I was also um, vicariously traumatized through that experience because really? the, the next morning, people who had witnessed it from the stop sign, uh, from the light there, came into intake. I worked at intake at Mental Health and Addictions and completely... Um, needed to debrief and find answers and were quite traumatized. So repeatedly went over the visuals of the event and how it impacted them. So both you and I were present in some ways at that scene. And I'm, I'm just learning that right now. We Crazy. actually... We actually have a lot of overlaps in life uh, this way, which is really cool. And I think they'll unfold as we each tell each other our stories. So that's... um. That's really interesting. But but again, that whole vicarious trauma piece, we're going to do a whole session on that and what that looks like. Um, and many of us um, have experienced it through life and never actually um, realized that's what it is, right? So well, people don't I, think they can be hurt by another trauma. It has well, to happen to them, but it, it is happening to them. Yeah, and we're psychologically distanced from it. And we also live in a bit of a wow culture where we kind of like those things. Like it's this weird excitement. This is why like people who listen to crime podcasts and things like that to fall asleep. I'm like, you're just throwing yourself into a hyper aroused state and just 
hating yourself to sleep. This is not good. No, <laughs> the last really thing you should do. Happening in the nervous system, but we, we, we become so numbed out and that dissociation response, that freeze response that checks us out is actually what's making people sleepy and fall asleep. It's, that's not good. That's not a way to calm our nervous systems. No. But again, that's, you know, some of that like chasing the chaos kind of thing. But I have a couple of things um, that I kind of circled and wrote down as you were talking. And, you know, one of the, the big highlight points is, you know, that the divine timing piece, man, the things about timing, being offered the jobs, um, you know, uh, just the right place, right people, right time kind of thing. And then um, these like definitive moments and people in your life, like you mentioned, there's a couple people you very, very um, vividly remember, or they were key people in your lives. And I think that these are really um, valuable things to hold on to, almost make little trophies of, because they're they're like turning points in our story. You know, you can have one like elementary school teacher who believed in you that really helped define your character through life in terms of like what, how your story played out. Like I see that in therapy all the time. All you need is one person to believe in you. All you need is one person to make that shift or inspire that or any of those things to come in your life at the right time, right place. Right. And everything can shift, mm -hmm. you know? So well, what are your thoughts around that? Like, what are the key, like this was the right time, right place, or this person for sure made a difference for me. Oh yeah, I mean, like definitely like being hired at that paper, like I mentioned, Mike Cornell, being that kind of person who was really, he just, he believed it when no one else seemed to and I didn't seem to have enough experience to do the job. Um, there's one other gentleman, Barry Adkins, who in 2014, I decided I wanted to get into back into boxing. I'd done it kind of as a, you know, teenager, early twenties. And just, he was sort of became and has become like a surrogate father figure in a sense, right? Just because he would, he would, you know, he believed that I could do it. Like he, and even though I wasn't as athletic as other people, and I was also way older than anyone else. I was like in my forties. Most people are in their like late teens, twenties. He just could see that I was someone who was passionate about it. And so he kind of always nurtured that and pushed to do that work and doing martial arts and boxing. There's a lot of um, philosophy involved. And he really projected that, which is stuff I needed to hear about kind of, you know, aligning your mind, body, and spirit to do, to fight. It's not just, fighting's not a physical game. It's, it's a mind game and a spiritual game to do it right. Yeah. So those are like a couple of key, key people. And I mean, even just sort of like, you know, I know hearing about kind of the upbringing that I, like my siblings, my actual birth siblings had, I ended up in a much better upbringing through adoption than, than I would have had I believe, had I not been adopted, right? And, and a lot more opportunities presented to me, especially now to do what I want to do in life. So it's just, there's these things. Like, I mean, that's why I say, even though it's shitty at the time and you're kind of wondering why you're going through this and it sucks and you're not sleeping and you're depressed. And even if you're feeling suicidal, it's like, it's all there for a reason. As long as you're willing to not wallow in your own self-pity. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I'm, I, yeah. And there's a time and place for all of it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, but but again, it's about, you know, expanding yourself to push through, to find the purpose in the pain, you know? Yes. Yeah, you know, and I love it because actually we, we have so many parallels in our stories. It's so cool. But, you know, when you talk about the boy who had dyslexia, who needed all of this additional support, moving schools for all the comprehensive and reading support, and what does he go into? Journalism, because he's... <laughs> I loved writing. Isn't that amazing? Like when we turn our biggest hindrance into our greatest strength, that is like the ultimate life achievement right there. You know, oh, for, yeah. me, for 
for me, I was like deathly shy as a young child, deathly shy. Um, like it needed to get like little stickers put on a chart if I could make it to school without crying that day, you know? And now look at me, I'm like, show me the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're the opposite. <laughs> right? But I think that really started to unfold like throughout my elementary years. Um, and I wanted to become a dancer very early on in my life. My mom was like, you know, you have to dance with other people, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you turn your biggest hindrance, your biggest life challenge into your greatest strength, you know, those of you who follow astrology, this is like your south node, north node kind of points there too. So I love that. Um, so actually with that, I want every, every one of our listeners to kind of think like, what was my greatest struggle as a child? And where am I on the other side of that right now? You know, or am I on the other side of that? And how could I be, you know? Yeah. I, I love that. I think that's good. And I, and I think, I think that's a good place to stop with my story in anticipation yeah. of your story, because there's questions I now want to ask you about your journey. Cause you say there's lots of parallels, right? Mm -hmm. So that Let's wraps up this episode of, <laughs> <laughs> of Integrateness. Um, you can hit us up on email, uh, Integrateness Podcast. Yeah, at gmail.com. Um, you can find me at jhewlett72 on Instagram. Jolene Dawn Counseling at Instagram. And then we are going to have an Integrateness Podcast on Instagram, Instagram as well. That's exactly. We by then. By the time you hear this, it, it should be a lot. <laughs> All right, we will be back next week with Jolene's story. So until then, stay safe out there. I don't know. I don't have a log off line. Peace out. Peace out. <laughs>